All right. Good morning, church. I'm sorry. Hopefully you weren't in a silent time of prayer and I disturbed you with a microphone pop. I'm sorry for that if that's the case. Good morning. I want to thank you guys all for being here, uh, whether you're with us in person or online. I know we've got a, a good few people watching online today as well, so I always want to say good morning to them also. But thank you guys for being here in person. It means a lot when we get together to uh, get to see each other. Um, I thank you for being here. If you uh, kind of remember where we were at last week, um, I want to kind of give you an apology because I didn't realize this and nobody stood up and kicked me off stage or anything like that. But I went back and posted the videos and the sermon was 43 minutes long. That's too long. I'm sorry. Man, I'm sorry. You guys could have come up here, drugged me off and said, we don't care about the last little bit. Time to get off stage, but I'm glad you didn't do that. So I'll try and keep it to a normal amount of time this week. But apparently you guys didn't notice or say anything, so thank you for that. So 43 minutes, a little longer than I normally do. So I'll try and keep it under half an hour today. But if you've been with us, you know, we've been in the book of Acts, and I've been taking uh, a sermons, I guess you could say, out of the book of Acts about what's happening uh, with the apostles, with the early church, and who these Christians are and what they're becoming at the beginning of this new church that's being formed based on Jesus Christ. And a few of the things I've looked at is uh, how we have fellowship together um, and what we can dedicate ourselves to in Acts chapter 2, talked about that. Um, Looked at how the Holy Spirit worked in the apostles and they could do incredible things and how we also are given that same exact gift at baptism. We also have the Holy Spirit in us and how Christians had all things in common, how these brothers and sisters, thousands of them, had all things in common because they had one thing in common, right? It's because they all were saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And last week, I looked at kind of a a tougher topic, I guess you could say. I looked at persecution that was happening to the early church. Mainly, we focused on the apostles and some of the ways that they were being persecuted or belittled, looked down upon, and abused because of their religious views, right? That's what persecution is defined as. But basically, they were going against culture. And against culture, they were being heavily abused for it. We even looked at the story of Stephen and the persecution he faced. The persecution he faced until he was stoned to death. And you might remember I said last week, man, Harold, this could be a really depressing sermon. But also, we can take some encouragement from that as well, because Stephen was so strong in his faith that while he was being stoned, he said, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. Forgive them and don't hold these sins against them. He was focused on the other people. He was focused on the lost so they might still be saved. And also last week, talking about persecution, I kind of teased us a little bit chapter 8, verse 1, because we were all in chapter 7 last week. But chapter 8, verse 1, and and one of the very last verses of chapter 7, let's go ahead and read that for just a second. I'll remind you what I teased us with. Chapter 7, verse 58, it says, Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man, named Saul. 
And last week I also read verse 1 of chapter 8, and Saul approved of the execution. I told you we might get to talk about this guy, Saul, at some point again here in the future, because he's a part of this early church. Right now we've just read that he is approving of executions, right? But today I do. I, I want to look at Saul, but I don't want to just look at Saul alone. I, I want to go from where we were at with persecution at the very end of chapter 7, and I want to continue here in chapter 8. And I reference this man named Saul, but what I want to do today is instead of give a sermon, sometimes I do this to you guys, instead of give a sermon, I just want to tell some stories. I've done it before. Shouldn't be a big surprise. Hopefully I'm not fired, right? I want to tell three stories today, and I want to start with this story of Saul. Not the whole story, but the story we see in the next couple of chapters of Saul. And so like I said last week, we, we kind of pick up the first time we ever hear of Saul is right there in the end of chapter 7, right here at the beginning of chapter 8. And what do we see? Well, Acts chapter 8, verse 1, and Saul approved of his execution. That's of Stephen stoning, right? And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, and Samaria except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him, but Saul, Saul was ravaging the church and entering in house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So today I just want to give three stories, and we're starting with Saul. Starting with Saul, what do we see about him right here in the first few books, or first few verses of, the, of chapter 8? First few verses, we don't know exactly what's going on, but we can tell you one thing. After Stephen, when Saul enters the picture, uh, he's not very nice to the church. Is that an understatement? Yeah. He is the lead persecutor here. He's going into Christians' homes, entering house after house, dragging off the men and women, and throwing them in prison. That's probably the nicest thing he's doing when he drags them away, I would imagine. Prison's probably the better option. So not long after Stephen Stone, we see St Saul keep on persecuting, right? But his story doesn't end there. His story does not end at verse 3, because otherwise we'd only have four verses about a man named Saul, and there would be no redemptive qualities, right? But we don't have to wait very long to see the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say, about this evil persecutor named Saul. We just got to jump one whole chapter. The story of Saul continues in Acts chapter 9, and I'm going to go through verse 22, because actually the story of this guy named Saul continues throughout the book of Acts. But we're just going to hang out in chapter 9, verses 1 through 22 today. So if you want to open your Bibles, I don't have it all up there. It's too much scripture. But if you want to open your Bibles, read along or listen along, let's read 9, 1 through 22. I'm in the ESV. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priests and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound back to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone 
all around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said to him, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at a house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen a vision of a man named Ananias to come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he was done to all your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who come call on to your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my sake or for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came here has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in all the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of all those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength, and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus, by proving that Jesus was indeed the Christ. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 22, is the story of a man named Saul. We pick up in chapter 9, right where we left off in chapter 8. Who is Saul? Well, he's still a persecutor, isn't he? Still breathing threats of murder against the disciples. Pretty, pretty good sum up of what he is as a persecutor. So in this story, this guy named Saul wants to go to Damascus and get some paperwork done, for a lack of better words. And on his way to Damascus, on the road, what happens? A bright light shines. A voice is heard from the heavens, from the clouds. And what's this voice say? Hi, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting in the name of, right? Stop persecuting, but also go to Damascus and there you will find another man who, who is a disciple for me, Jesus Christ. When all this event is over, 
Everyone who is with Saul had heard it, but they hadn't seen anything. And what's Saul come out of it as? Blind. Not only did Jesus the Lord speak to him, but also something had changed in his life dramatically. He could no longer see. So he goes to Damascus, and here comes along Ananias who finds him after having a talk of his own with God, right? Saying, are you sure this is the man, the one who persecutes? You want me to go see him? But Ananias lays his hands on him and calls him brother, brother Saul, and scales fall from his eyes or something like scales. And what's he do from that point forward? He's converted. He's baptized. He preaches the name of the gospel, Jesus Christ, right? Saul, a persecutor. So what do we know about this guy Saul just at a glance? I'm only putting a couple of things on here because I'm telling stories. What do we know about Saul? Well, he's a persecutor, a murderer, and a sinner. I think that's pretty broad, but also pretty on the point for what Saul is, isn't he? He's a persecutor, a murderer, and a sinner. But you just heard the story of Saul. You know what changed in his life? Despite that, he was saved. Despite all of those things, he was saved. Got another story for you. I've got three of them. You might notice my stories are just uh, chapter 9 backwards through the book of, or through 8 in the book of Acts. Chapter 8, verse 26 through 40, another story about a guy called the Ethiopian eunuch. Picking up in verse 26 of chapter 8, backwards a page probably for you, let's read this story. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in a chariot, and was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard that he was reading Isaiah the prophet, and he asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come in and sit with him in the chariot. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep was led to slaughter and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied in him. Who can describe his generation? for his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And they were going along the road, and they came near to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is some water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. 
And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went away rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40, my second story of the day. No sermon today, just story. Who's this story about? Well, the Ethiopian eunuch, right? And Philip is the other character in the storyline. We'll see him here in a minute as well. But what's happening in this story? Well, we pick up with the Ethiopian eunuch and we pick up with Philip. And Philip is told to go to the south. From Jerusalem to Gaza. He doesn't know why, but Philip is told, and guess who's on that same road? An Ethiopian eunuch, right? He's riding along in his chariot. He's reading the book of Isaiah, and uh, Philip sees him and is compelled to run up to him, and he runs up to him. He must be pretty fast because the chariot was going slow or something. He runs up to him, and he says, hey, do you understand what you're reading? And the guy, the eunuch goes, how can I? It's crazy. And so he invites him to come sit with him in the chariot. And from that piece of Old Testament scripture, the prophet, what does Philip do? He teaches him the whole gospel. And we don't know what the conversation looked like, but we know what it ended like, right? The eunuch's riding along and they see water and he says, whoa, there's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? So the eunuch is baptized right then and there. They go under, it comes up. Philip's gone, and he is saved. That's an interesting piece right there at the end, too. I always like to talk about the teleportation in the Bible, because that's weird. Where'd Philip go? A different city. I don't know how. Just a story. But what do we know about this eunuch guy? Well, the first thing we know is that he's a eunuch. Who wants to raise their hand and describe what a eunuch is? (laughs) Yeah, me too. I was thinking, how am I going to describe this? A eunuch is someone who has sacrificed a part of their manhood in service to a certain role. That's how I'm going to frame it, right? So they have sacrificed a part of themselves to not hinder themselves, but to completely get it out of the way to serve a specific role. And we actually know what this specific role is for this Ethiopian. What's his job? Well, he is a court official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. And what was his specific duty? He was in charge of all of her treasure. So yeah, he had a pretty important job. And he had sacrificed a part of himself to hold that job. What else do we know about the eunuch other than he's a eunuch? Well, he's obviously religious. I'm going to use that word, religious, right? Because if you notice, not only is he reading the Old Testament or the prophet Isaiah, but he's going to Jerusalem. Why? To worship. He's going to Jerusalem to worship, and he's reading the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah. So what can we, what can we pull from that? Well, he's religious in some sort, and I struggled with what words to put after this, but I put, he's religious, but he's lost. I also to- toyed around with putting... Uh, stupid or an idiot. Like, I didn't know what to put up here, but he's lost, right? He doesn't know what he's reading. And how often is that also us sometimes, right? But you know what? Even though he was religious and not a follower of Jesus, but a follower of religion, 
And even though he had no idea what was being taught and what was being read, you know what happened by the end of the story? He was saved. Here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? He was saved. One more story this morning. I'm just going backwards. Actually, that's not the right verses. Huh. Well, you just get to know. We're going to read the story of Simon. Let's pick up in chapter 8, verse 9. And we'll read through verse 25. Just going backwards through the book of 8, or through chapter 8. 8, 9. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. Verse 12. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and of the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself was baptized. Even himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of hands, of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that any one of whom I may lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money? You, neither, you have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven of you. For I see that you are in all the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. The story of Simon. You may know him as Simon the magician. Simon the sorcerer is another Another one that we have traditionally called him, right? Magician, sorcerer, same word. He is a Samaritan or in the, the land of Samaria, right? And he is performing magic and lots of people are amazed. But then comes along Philip. Philip's not performing magic. Philip's just speaking. Speaking so much that people are no longer watching the magic and, and now listening to the gospel. Even the magician hears the gospel message, right? That's Simon. Even Simon hears the gospel message, and he himself believes and is baptized along with many others. Man, that would be a great place for the story of Simon to end, right? 
Because even though he believed and even though he was baptized, he saw that the apostles had the healing power and this miraculous power of the Holy Spirit. And he said, I want some of that. That sounds great. I'm a magician. I can do so much with it. I don't know what he was thinking. But so he goes to the apostles and he says, can I buy this from you? Well, the response is not great to that, is it? The answer is no way. How dare you think in your own heart that you could buy the power of God? The power of God is a gift. The power of God is something we are given to use, not for ourselves, but to serve others, right? Something like that, given to him pretty harshly. And what's he say? He says, please don't let these things, I pray to God that these things do not happen to me. He's repentant, I guess you could say. That's the story of Simon the sorcerer, Simon the magician. So what do we know about Simon? He's magic. I think sometimes we skip over this part. He's magic. He's a magician. He's a sorcerer. So what does that mean? Well, we have magicians to this day. He can do some cool card tricks, I guess. Actually, there's more to it than that, right? For this time and age, it was not just that he could do some cool tricks and, you know, trick pen and teller. It was the fact that he worked with the dark side. That's how I'd say it, right? No Star Wars references, but he worked with Satan and his demons. That's what magic and sorcery was. Now, there was a little bit of sleight of hand and a little bit of trickery, but that was not what it was perceived as. That's not what it was practiced as. It was practiced as working with the dark arts, working with the dark side, working with Satan and his angels, right? So Simon's pretty, pretty into it. He's pretty much on the other team. Not only that, but after he hears the gospel message, what is he? He's jealous, right? He's jealous, he's envious. Or something along that line, he wants the power. I put jealous up here. So even after he believes, he messes up right away. So I guess you could say he too is just a sinner. But despite all of that, Simon was saved. Sometimes we like to add to the scripture here and say, well, I don't know if Simon got to keep his salvation after he questioned if he could but. No. Do you hear what what is written in the Scriptures? He too believed and was baptized, and then after all of it, he prayed to God that these things would not happen to him. He didn't abandon his faith just because he messed up, right? He too was saved. Saul, the greatest Christian persecutor ever, saved. The eunuch who didn't understand what he was reading, but was religious for religious sake. Sinner, still saved. Simon, a magician who worked in the dark arts and played with Satan's demons just to make a buck. Sinner, still saved. Sinner, sinner, and still saved. So like I've said multiple times now, No sermon today. Just three stories. Three stories from the book of Acts, chapters 8 and 9. Three stories of three sinners, if you want to call it that. Put that up there. Three stories of three sinners. But you might be wondering to yourself, 
awesome for the story time, Harold. I really appreciate it. I needed more stories in my life. Why are you telling me these three stories? Why are you telling me Acts 8 and 9, three stories of three sinners? And the reason I wanted to tell you these stories is because Courtney got pulled over. She didn't know I was doing this either. And Larry saw her pulled over by the highway patrolman. Yes. And she got a ticket. Yes. That's why I told you these three stories. Okay. When Courtney got pulled over, it reminded me of a time that I may have gotten pulled over. (laughs) Terry's counting. Wow. And I may have shared this story with you guys before. I know I have a little bit. But when I was moving here, I was almost here, and I got pulled over by a very, very friendly highway patrolman. Right before I turned on on the highway here, I was like in that home stretch to turn on to Highway 135 right here and come on down to Riverton. I was almost here. You know, 12 hours of driving, I only had 35 minutes left, and I got pulled over. That happens to me occasionally, just like it happens to Courtney occasionally. But... Why did that make me think of this, and why did I tell you these stories? When I was pulled over, I thought to myself, man, this guy's a nice guy. We've been talking about why I'm coming to Riverton and how I'm going to be a minister here. I said, thinking to myself, I guess this is the first time to do on-the-ground ministry here in Wyoming. So I talked to the guy a little bit more, and I uh, offered him my my business card. And I said, hey, you should really join us for church sometime, or if, uh, if you ever need any assistance for anything like that. And I tried my very best, right, just to be friendly and invite him. But I got a response, and I don't remember exactly, again, very friendly guy, exactly what the response was. But basically he said, ah, church isn't for me. I'm too big of a sinner already. Something along that line. And we, we sit there, and that hurts to hear but have you ever heard something along those lines before? I'm too big of a sinner for Jesus. I've already committed my fair share of sins. There's no turning around from that. Acts chapter 8 and 9. Three stories about who? Three sinners. Three sinners who... If you, if you read the story, they're kind of a varying degrees of sin, as we would say, but what's the point? They were too big of sinners. So when I think about what that officer, that highway patrolman said to me, and he said, I, I can't come to church. I'm just too big of a sinner, too lost already. I just want to say, welcome to the club, bud, right? Because I read the story of Saul. I don't know how many... Christians he killed. I don't know how many Christians he imprisoned, but I bet you the number's not small, right? He was a big sinner, yet he was saved. I think of the eunuch. He didn't know any better, but yet he was still saved. I think of Simon. He was working with Satan, but yet he was still saved. And I look around this room, and I look at myself, and I do, I have to say, welcome to the club right? You've heard me say it before, but Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That is one of the most powerful verses we can have as Christians. 
because we're all sinners. We all have stories. And just like the three stories, the three sinners here, we also only have one Savior. One Savior is the one that saved them no matter what they were doing. One Savior is the one that saves us no matter how lost we are. So if anybody ever asks you why you go to church, you might say, because I'm too much of a sinner to be saved. But that doesn't matter to him. It doesn't matter to the Savior because all have sinned and all are welcome into the kingdom. So if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ yet, maybe you're being held back by the fact that you think you're too big of a sinner. You think there's too much in your life, too much baggage, too many messes, too much evil. We're all sinners. We all have stories, but we all have one Savior. So we'd love to welcome you into the body of Christ, just like the eunuch. There's water. We got water all around us. Why not be baptized?